Hello and welcome to Asia-Pacific Conversations, an Asia-Pacific Foundation of Canada podcast series on issues and ideas in Asia that matter to and impact Canadians. I'm Erin Williams, a Senior Program Manager here at APFC, and for today's episode, we're joined in the studio by Jodez Gavilan, a reporter for the Filipino news service Rappler and host of the podcast Newsbreak, Beyond the Stories. Jodez is the winner of the 2023 Marshall McLuhan Fellowship Award, a public diplomacy initiative by the Canadian Embassy in Manila to recognize journalistic excellence on issues of democracy, human rights, and press freedoms in the Philippines. The program, now in its 26th year, includes a two-week tour of Canada, which is an opportunity for Canadians to hear from people who are on the front lines of some of these issues. We've asked her to talk with us about her reporting on former President Rodrigo Duterte's war on drugs and its aftermath, and how well she thinks the media, both in the Philippines and internationally, have done in their coverage of this issue. So, Jodez, first, congratulations on being selected as the 2023 McLuhan Fellow, and we are really happy to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, let's start with a little context setting, and we'll do that maybe by talking about the role that you play as a journalist. Your profile page on the Rappler website describes you as covering the, quote, human rights and impunity beats, especially in relation to former President Duterte's war on drugs. Um, This war on drugs was, you know, if we can just use basic terms, it was kind of a no-holds-barred approach in which the police and vigilantes were not just empowered, but also encouraged by Duterte to kill those they suspected of selling or using drugs. And according to the government, the death toll stands at 6,252. But as you noticed in the presentation you just gave to us, human rights groups believe that number could be much higher, somewhere between 27,000 and 30,000. Duterte's presidential term ended in July 2022. So what's the current status of the war on drugs? Uh, I always approach this question based on the lens of the people on the ground, the communities I cover. Unfortunately, killings still continue, although there is difficulty in obtaining data from the Philippine National Police uh, during the Duterte administration. His police published the numbers online on Facebook. Now, after Duterte left office in 2022, it has been a constant effort for me to get the data from the government because at least it's credible because it's from the government. But unfortunately, they've always rejected my requests or given me the choddy or dangerous or basically inadequate data. So I base my perception that killings continue first because of what the communities tell me, that they know someone, they've recorded it. And at the same time, there's this academic group from the University of the Philippines, Third World Studies Center, who does documentation of the killings based on media reports that they gather across the Philippines. So killings continue. And I guess if my recollection is correct, there's this data that the first year of Marcos, the killings during that period is bigger than what occurred during the last year of Duterte. Wow. And and one of the things you've been tracking on your immunity beat is the International Criminal Court, the ICC's intention to investigate the, the drug war killings, or maybe they've already started those investigations, as possible crimes against humanity. And um, the Philippines had been a party to the ICC until March 2019, when Duterte withdrew the country from the Rome Statute. But the ICC could still investigate not only what happened in roughly those first three years of Duterte's presidency, but also some similar alleged crimes that happened in the years immediately prior to him becoming president when he was mayor of Davao. Is that correct? Okay. For a lot of people who are not um, trained in the law, the ICC is kind of a complicated body with a complicated process. But could you, because you have followed this so closely, could you give us kind of an overview of where this process stands? 
So right now, the, there's an investigation ongoing. Uh, just last year, the government of the Philippines tried to appeal the decision of the court to continue the investigation started by the Office of the Prosecutor. So right now, or last year, the court basically dismissed the appeals of the government, meaning it now gives the free will for the prosecutor, Karim Khan, to continue his investigation. So right now, it's just a matter of if... Karim Khan, the prosecutor, sees it. There's enough information to request a warrant of arrest from the court. So if that happens, then the court will issue a warrant of arrest, and it's only up to the government, to the Philippine government, to implement the warrant because, as you know, the ICC doesn't have a police force to execute the warrant. So everyone is on their toes at the edge of their seat in the Philippines if a warrant of arrest will be arrested. That's why it's important now for Marcos to play his cards well. Right. And as I understand it, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but current President uh, Ferdinand Marcos Jr. has said he is not inclined to cooperate with the ICC. Is that correct? He's he's kind of uh, flip-flopping recently. During the campaign for his presidency and the first few months or the first year of his presidency, he really said that he will not cooperate. He sees it as foreign intervention. But in recent months, I guess as late as early last year, he said that is now studying the possibility of the Philippines rejoining the ICC. And his officials, for example, the Justice Secretary of the Philippines, he said that they will study rejoining. And then another official said that if the ICC decides to go here, they couldn't do anything about it. And one of the more remarkable things about the work that you've done as a journalist is the, you talked a lot about the trust that you try to build with the people you report on. And, you know, in this case, this includes a lot of the families of the victims, people who were killed in the war on drugs. Have they said publicly or otherwise who they think should be held responsible for the killing of their loved ones? And what do they hope to see happen from this ICC process? It's funny because whenever I do my interviews with the victims of the families, I often ask them, do you want the police who pulled the trigger to be held accountable? Or do you want Duterte, the president, to face jail time? They would say that we want Duterte. We want Duterte to face accountability because he was the one who ordered the killings from the presidential pulpit. Like they would say if Duterte didn't openly allow the police to kill, their loved ones would still be alive. So they actually see the command as a responsibility, the responsibility of Duterte and all the killings. And they know that if they actually just allowed or let the police who pull the trigger to be held accountable, it doesn't address the bigger impunity, the bigger responsibility of Duterte. Okay. And when you mentioned the word impunity, uh, which is <laughs> your other beat, when we think about like a kind of a spectrum of accountability, we could imagine on one end a really robust ICC process or something similar that would have the full cooperation of the government of the Philippines. And then on the other end, there could be a kind of collective forgetting on the part of the Filipino people in the interest of something like we just should, well, let's just put the past behind us. But there's a lot of space in between those two ends of the spectrum, including opportunities for groups like the media, civil society organizations, and maybe even groups or people outside of the Philippines to make sure that this issue is not just swept aside. What would you like to see in terms of the, the media's role in your country in that? I think the media should learn from its mistake during the Duterte administration that we actually fell short in the coverage of how Duterte began all these killings. Like, remember that when Duterte started saying that the drug users are hopeless, that they should are menace to society, that criminality is equated to drug use, 
several media played it as it is. There was no fact-checking, there was no active debunking because the media in the Philippines really operated from that very purist notion that what should be reported is what it is. So at this point, I want the media, and I know several of my colleagues are already doing it, to continue writing about the families, the impact, or those left behind because these are the product of the failure of the media, of Filipinos, to stop what happened under Duterte. And I guess it's a sort of uh, coming in terms of our complicity in the widespread killings of our own countrymen. When you anticipated my next question, which was going to be what you think, well, what you think the Filipino press got mostly right in covering the war on drugs, um, and what, if anything, you think they could, could have done better. Just going to the first part of that question, are there certain aspects of covering this issue that you think the press or your organization, Rappler, did, did especially well? I guess it's us actually debunking the lies of the Duterte administration. In the early administration years of Duterte, we had this decision that we will not air his speeches as it is because there was this certain uh, speeches that he really rattled off names of, of apparent people part of the drug list. And we know that if that those were publicly named, those lives will be in danger. So we decided right then that no, we will not air those kinds of speeches. And we will, we will openly debunk any lies that Duterte said. We will not write them as it is. We will debunk them if they are wrong. And we did that. So it kind of, I guess, helped set up our path towards how we will cover the administration. So it was for us, we really set on saying that the killings are not okay. We didn't actually lie and said that maybe there's a other side of the killings. Maybe the suspects, the victims fought back. That's why they were killed. We really stopped because we, we saw the pattern. We saw the patterns in the killings. We saw the lies of the administration. We saw how there was a lack of transparency in terms of getting police documents. So these all really led towards the fact that everything is state-sanctioned, state-sponsored. And it's on the media for Rappler to say it that, yes, killings were committed by the government. And we should say that it is wrong. And maybe turning to looking at international coverage of this issue, and please don't hold back. What kind of grade would you give the international press in covering the war on drugs? And what advice, if you could kind of go back seven years and give the international media uh, like a bit of advice, what would that be? I wish, they, I wish they would spend longer in the communities. And I guess I would give them like, I guess a, still a passing grade because they bought international attention to the Philippines. But it's funny because you, would, you can exactly pinpoint when the international coverage stopped. I guess when maybe people were desensitized already abroad or when Duterte kept saying it, so it felt out of novelty already, like a president saying killings, after, kill, kill, kill after three years would kind of like be not new already, it's kind of boring already. So that's when the international media coverage actually waned. So right now the coverage will only happen again when there's an undevelopment at the ICC. So I hope that looking backwards that there could have been more a long-term or a held coverage of what is happening. Maybe the international media could have employed Filipino journalists to cover the drug war and not just bring Western journalists for a day or two or a week to cover. Maybe they could have like also collaborated with local media organizations so that they could carry the stories that were published from the Philippines. And maybe moving forward, they could do that. It's not too late, I mean. 
That, that's a very important point. And I just want to ask you, so you've been in Canada a couple of weeks, and you've had a chance to engage with members of the public, including, of course, members of the Filipino diaspora, which is quite large in Canada, as you know. And not to suggest that the people who would attend your talk and be interested in the topic are representative of that community, but are there any questions or comments that you've heard thus far that surprise you in terms of how Canadians, including those who have you know personal and family ties to the Philippines, are thinking about the state of human rights, democracy, and press freedoms in your country. I guess what was very common among my talks was this notion of, is what I'm doing already activism? Am I already crossing the lines of what is journalism, what is activism? Isn't this already advocacy work? And doesn't that mean you're taking sides already? And I guess it's still predominant here in the Canadian media that journalists have to be objective. So I always counter saying that, no, it's objectivity is a myth that should be destroyed because if we do not destroy it, it's going to destroy journalism per se. So this kind of gives me a mirroring or a viewpoint of how the Canadians think of journalism in general. And yeah, it's funny because there's also this question that says that, what is it with the Philippines that Filipinos think this way? It's like them actually saying that there's something wrong with the Philippines, when in fact, what happened to the Philippines could happen. And it happened elsewhere. It happened before the Philippines, it happened after the Philippines, everywhere. So there should be a collective reassessing of what human rights is or how it is reported and what actually humanity should mean to people. It's another very important point that the things that are that have happened in the Philippines and are happening in the Philippines are by no means unique to the Philippines. And one of the things we try to embrace here at the Asia Pacific Foundation of Canada is that our job isn't just to learn about different parts of Asia, but it's also to learn from different parts of Asia. And I think the work that you and your colleagues are doing in covering some of these issues probably have a lot to teach the rest of us. Jadez, you said you've been a journalist for 10 years. Yeah. 10 years from now, will you still be a journalist? I want to have an answer to that question, a positive answer, but I'm taking it day by day. I know in my heart that maybe two years, three years, four years, yeah, I'm still, I'm still a journalist, but I would have to reassess what would happen in the country. Many of my colleagues are already getting high, higher paying jobs or even they're outside of the Philippines already. And they would tell me, why are you still there? Why are you still working? Why are you still sacrificing a lot? But I tell them that the families themselves are facing threats and they are still continuing in the call for justice. Like. What right do I have to say I'm tired, I'm burned out, and I will leave because I want to improve myself? Like, as long as the families are willing to tell me their stories, I promise them that I will write their stories. So at least in the near future, immediate future, I would say that I will continue writing. Or at least until maybe Duterte is jailed. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. and um, no matter how long that takes, we hope you will stay in the profession, and, and we also know that the profession will be much better with you in it. Um, we want to say thank you again, Jodez, for spending time to talk with us and to educate us about a lot of these issues. And once again, we congratulate you on being selected as the 2023 Marshall McLuhan Fellow. Thank you so much. For our listeners, this has been an episode of Asia Pacific Conversations, a weekly podcast series from the Asia Pacific Foundation of Canada. We've been talking today with Jodez Gavilan, an investigative reporter with the Philippines News Service Rappler and winner of the 2023 Marshall McLuhan Fellowship Award. Be sure to keep an eye on our website for all kinds of reports and analysis, www.asiapacific.ca. And be sure to subscribe to Asia Watch, our free weekly newsletter that features news and ideas in Asia that matter to and impact Canadians. Thanks for listening. We'll see you for the next episode of Asia Pacific Conversations.